10 o'clock on Weston Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. The college football playoff semifinal games, they delivered. Man, a lot of fun watching Michigan TCU, Georgia, Ohio State. Both games came down to the wire. Eventually a missed field goal is what did the Buckeyes in. And it was a no-targeting call that actually helped TCU and hurt the Michigan Wolverines. We'll start there. Wes, TCU upsets Michigan. And this was a team that you didn't necessarily think was going to be all that competitive against Michigan. Yeah. You thought that TCU was just kind of in as a fun team. Max Duggan, good quarterback, Mm -hmm. second in the Heisman voting polls. But it's not like you were really scared that they would go up against a Big Ten powerhouse that Michigan has established themselves once again over the last two years. How surprised were you to see the result you did with TCU and Michigan? Well, for one, let me just say the fact that that offensive line, they got some big horses up there, okay? We noticed the state of Texas, man, and that offensive line was nasty. There were a bunch of Billy was, Bobs on that offensive right, line. Right, not Billy Bob. Those, those were some big boys. I saw some <laughs> six, seven, three thirties on that line, man. And so that was the thing I thought that was going to be the difference because it always is when you see these type of matchups. The talent up front always shines through, and I thought Michigan's D-line and O-line would control the game, and that was not the case. Also, I had no clue that Quentin Johnson, you know, was one of the, you know, arguably with Ty McShay's rankings, the top wide receiver in the country, and that Tomlinson's uh, little cousin, Travius, was the Thorpe Award winner. So I, it's not that I didn't think TCU was was not a good football team. I knew they were very good. They had beaten a lot of ranked teams, but I think also the stigma of the Big 12 played into my thinking as well. Finesse conference. You know, not a lot of defense played. So, and you know, TCU's defense is not world beaters. So, I thought that Michigan would would dominate them when they went up against a team that could control things up front the way they did. But that was not the case. They came out there. Max Duggan, like I said, he almost lost the game for them, but he still played a really good game. Two hundred eighty-two total yards. He had four total four TDRs. So he played really good. But and then also, I'm I'm a huge intangibles guy. I always talk about that. The fact that J.J. McCarthy said that if they sit in that 3-3-5, it's going to be Smash City and all that. And I was like, you could tell that TCU, and I tweeted during the game, TCU was hitting and tackling very well in that game. And every time they got up from a tackle on a Michigan player, they were talking trash. You could tell they were very chippy because of what Michigan had said. They felt the mentality that fans had like that I had. And Mm -hmm. so they played that way. And every time Michigan punched them, they punched back. And so they got the job done. So I have to take my hat off the TCU. Well, one thing I was surprised about is the fact that Max Duggan didn't necessarily outperform J.J. McCarthy, and yet TCU still won. It was actually the rushing attack for the Horned Frogs that they ran for 260 yards, 150 for DiMercardo, 69 the long run for him, and then Duggan did have 57 on the ground. Miller also had the same amount on just eight carries, so they really had some success on the ground, and it wasn't necessarily Duggan through the air that was destroying McCarthy. In fact, McCarthy on the ground had just as good of a game, right? Like, that was what was kind of surprising. I kept a minute, yeah. yeah, comparing to uh, what they were able to do, had the big long run, uh, McCarthy did the 40-yard rush that he had that went for a touchdown. And in the second half, I mean, Michigan's offense was doing really whatever they wanted. You know, yeah. once once we saw that happen, I was like, okay, you know, now the Wolverines are going to come back. But you just saw big play after big play for each of these teams in the second half, which made it 
you know, real damn electric. I mean, watching both of those teams play, what were some of your main takeaways and how surprised were you, Fiddy, to see TCU beat Michigan 51-45 to at the end? I wasn't all that surprised because I don't think they were the quote-unquote Cinderella team because <laughs> they had the most wins against top 25 teams of any team in the playoff or the New York City or the New Year six. And I've seen them a lot on my college football Saturdays where I have locked myself in my house mm -hmm. and I wouldn't leave. So I've seen Max Duggan. I've seen Quentin Johnson. I've seen these guys make plays after plays. Their resiliency is as good as any team as I've seen in recent memory where they can fall down two scores and then, and they didn't blink. And so they came out and they were motivated because how many people really thought they were going to win the game, let alone compete? Not many people did. And so, you know, I, I really thought the game really changed on the fourth and goal call the very first yes, drive. I agree 100 percent, especially coming off of Donovan Edwards on that first play of the game going 54 yards. And you're thinking, all right, here we go. Yeah. Michigan's about to get it rolling. But then when they got that big stop and then off the top of what you said, Fiddy, then when the pick six happened, yep. I was like, okay, we got a ball game. Coaches got to realize when when you have a big play like that to start a game, I understand that you want to get a touchdown. You want to send that message. But three points is still greater than no points. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh will have to wonder all offseason if we kick the field goal, how different does that game go? Well, how much – look, I hate blaming the officials, and I will not do that. TCU absolutely won this game. I never want to get it twisted. I, I mean, man, I can't even tell you the last time I thought the officials actually lost a game for someone. But there were a couple of times where calls certainly did not go Michigan's way. You had the touchdown that was negated, and then eventually you have the fumble on that goal line, right? Pretty big fumble and obviously crazy costly against Michigan. Plus, at the very end, you saw a targeting call not get called, where pretty clearly targeting. The guy lowers his helmet by any definition of the rule. To me, I thought it was pretty clearly targeting, and that would have given Michigan another shot. But at the end, they evaluate it. They go to the film and review it and say, nope, game over. How much did you think that that hurt Michigan, and do you think that was the the wrong call, the wrong no call, if you will, and Michigan should have at least had another opportunity? Yeah, they should have had another opportunity. I know my mom was pretty upset about that. Yeah. She was like, Michigan deserves another chance. We won't know what happened because of that bad call, and I agree 100%, man. You got to keep the rules going, especially when it's that obvious. If it was 50-50 and you know, maybe there was not enough evidence there, to, to give it, but it was clearly right there. Mm -hmm. And you wonder sometimes just what the referees are thinking when they do stuff like that. And also another call, too, and I'm just like you, Walker, I don't, I feel like a team, you shouldn't put the games in the hands of the referee. The first touchdown that Michigan had that was taken away. Well, that's that what was I'm a saying. very, yeah, that was a very controversial call. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like those referees did not do a very good job uh, in that football game. We'll never know how things would have turned out if those two calls maybe would have gone differently. Or maybe I always say, too, that football is so situational. If Michigan gets that first touchdown, then that could have changed things up where they might not have needed that call at the end of the game to keep their drive alive. So, I mean, and we talked about this in the campus corner. We talked about it last week. We don't have to spend too much time on it. I, I want to talk about the other game, but in order to have that transition, I do want to kind of compare all of these coaches, specifically Ryan day and Jim Harbaugh, because both of them lose. CJ Stroud was magnificent in that game against Georgia where they have not allowed a quarterback to look that good all season long. And lo and behold, one of the top prospects, especially from just a QB perspective coming into this NFL draft, man, put out some excellent tape saying I should be the number one quarterback taken. If you just go by some of these bowl games, Bryce Young looked really good this weekend yeah. too, no doubt about it. But CJ Stroud doing it against the Bulldogs was extremely impressive. 
going back to the type of hatred that the coaches might take, the type of consequences that they might suffer because they lost, man, I go to ESPN and I see one of the clips, front and center, Paul Feinbaum says he knew that Jim Harbaugh was going to choke in a big game. And sure enough, (laughs) it's happening, right? Like, it's not necessarily, you know, they get to the playoffs. They're finally there in the top four. And it looked like they were favored to actually get to the championship game, which Harbaugh still has not done. And now even against an underdog, where you were at least a seven-point favorite, you still weren't able to get it done. I do think that regardless of how you feel, that criticism is going to come his way, which was always the reason I thought there was quite a bit of pressure for Jim Harbaugh to win this game. Same here. That's what I thought as well. I felt like you had your kind of got your feet wet last year to the college football playoff environment. And I thought with a program that is one of the blue bloods of college football in Michigan, after you got your feet wet, you got done in by Georgia last year in the semis. I thought they're going to come back with a new mentality because they talked about in the offseason the stuff that Harbaugh changed to the defense. They started running the Baltimore Ravens defense and all this type of stuff. So you're thinking, okay, it's Michigan's time. They're going to at least get to the championship game, even if they can't beat Georgia for a second time. And then you come in against TCU, the team, like I said, that was an afterthought to a lot of people who thought, okay, going up against mighty Michigan, they're not going to beat Michigan. Not only that, you just felt like it was kind of Michigan's time to really make some noise. And so that's why I thought that was a damning loss for mm-hmm. Harbaugh to come in uh, and lose that football game. Well, and, and Fiddy, I know you disagreed with that, right? Because you didn't think that Michigan on Jim Harbaugh was going to have more pressure to perform than Ryan Day. Did it change at all over the weekend? Because I think if you go to the Georgia game, Ryan Day had his guys ready to play against Georgia. That Ohio State looked great, but then at the end – there are people blaming the coaching decisions of one Ryan Day as to why they lost. So maybe that kind of resurrect uh, resurrected some of the criticism and the consequences that would come his way because of the coaching style at the end. Yeah, now Jim Harbaugh is one of only three coaches to have back-to-back top two rankings in the playoff, joining Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. And look, nice. both years they have fallen short. Last year they played a, a, a Georgia team that's one of the best national title teams we've seen in recent memory. This year, you fell short to a very good, inspired TCU team. The thing about it, though, is that the reason why he's still safe is that he led to the first thirteen and zero season start ever. Like, like, like. So does does this loss derail all that? Where you beat Ohio State back to back years without your best player on the field? No. Next year, if they get in and they fall short again, maybe it's fair to if say. He stays. Or, well, yeah, and that's something. He's look, not leaving. Well, Carolina Panther fans. I don't fans, think he is either. I don't either, but Carolina Panther fans might want Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I don't know. Does Jim Harbaugh want David Tepper? No, 100%. Yeah, he ain't coming. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm agreeing with the question, right? Like, I'm not so sure that he wants that either. And so you would think with the way that Michigan is improving, right? I mean, yeah, they lost to TCU, but it was certainly a closer game than it was last year against Georgia. And when you said Jim Harbaugh's safe, I don't think any of us expect him to be fired after a loss, right? I don't think any of that are the consequences that we're talking about. It's on these radio shows, right? How much how much confidence do we feel in some of these coaches being able to reach the top? You know, do you enter a different form of conversation where we're discussing you as one of the best coaches in all of college football? Where Kirby Smart is setting himself up to be that guy that is in the 
Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney type territory. You know, Nick Saban's probably in his own tier for what he's accomplished, but you get the idea Mm -hmm. establishing yourself as a program that is a threat to win the championship every single year. You know, Michigan, I still feel like they have to prove they can even get to the championship game before we put him in that kind of high regard. Who do you trust moving forward the next three to five years to put their team in a position to win a national title? These are two coaches who have failed to win big games. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh or Lincoln Riley? Ooh, good Ooh, question. Good I thought you were going to go Ryan Day. And then I had my answer. I was ready to answer it. And then, no, Because that answer is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, He's beating him back-to-back years. Yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley because of the way the guys that he's going to get at Southern Cal and also the style of offense that he plays. Uh, I just feel like that USC is on a precipice of knocking on the door and being in the college mm-hmm. football playoffs multiple times over the next five to ten years. See, I think I'm going to go Harbaugh. Yeah, and I I love Lincoln Riley. He's fun, but we've seen them get destroyed every sem- semifinal game we've seen them play, right? And, like, to me, there's so much focus on the offense, and maybe you do something differently with USC. They always have a great quarterback. He's a quarterback whisperer, 100%. But Jim Harbaugh, the problem with him, they're very different. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh had everybody else in the world except for the quarterback where – USC, Oklahoma, they had the star quarterback. They had excellent offensive weapons, and defensively, they just weren't able to stop anybody. And you had some big-time games for Southern Cal this year twice, and you lost to the same opponent each of those two times in Utah. The last one, I mean, what was it? It was a blowout, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was a 20-point game. Utah was able to win. But I give him a mulligan because it's his first year. Okay. But the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. I mean, well, it, yeah, but he didn't come into the, well, he did come into the season as one of the favorites, but still, he hasn't built that roster where he wants it to be. And I think with NIL being in Los Angeles and the guys that we've already seen that he's been getting, he's going to get the defenders because the thing about it is Oklahoma does have a look, some pedigree for defense as well. But I think USC, you know, that's a school that's proven they can get high caliber defensive players too. So I think he he just needs a little bit more time to get that roster where he wants to get. I think next year they'll be better, but I think that third year is where they're going to really start to be a real problem. Last thing before we move on to make another local tie here outside of Harbaugh possibly coming to Carolina, C.J. Stroud might be a possibility, but the way that guy played in this bowl game might not be available wherever Carolina is picking. So Tankathon has them number nine right now after the loss to Tampa Bay. So if they lose against New Orleans, the other six and ten teams you're looking at, it's Las Vegas and it's Atlanta. And then you're dealing with some five and eleven, four and eleven and one teams like Indianapolis who tied whatever. Man, if you can package some kind of picks together in order to move up to get C.J. Stroud. Do you see a path for Carolina to possibly do that? Mm-hmm. And are you sold enough to say, hey, I'm ready. Let, let's let's go to work with Ohio State quarterback who oftentimes when they graduate from that school, the track record has led us to a different category. Maybe we don't yeah. want to take that Buckeye QB. Man, he looked great against well, Georgia, though. I think the thing, too, about this whole school stigma, I think the last couple of big-time quarterbacks that they put out, whether you talk about Dwayne Haskins, there was a lot of immaturity there. He had the physical skills, but not the maturity. Troy Smith had the maturity, but not quite the physical skills. I think C.J. Stroud has all of those. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the difference with him as to why he's going to be a really good pro. I think... um, Well, big games, I mean, at least in this one, I I just... 
Could not be more impressed. And right? I mean, let's not forget about the Rose Bowl last year. Yeah. He was out of control. So I think that if you're the Panthers, that you try to make whatever plays that you need to make to get up there. I know they talk about that, uh, Tepper. You cannot let Tepper get what he wants in this draft and go up and get Will Levis if that's the guy you're getting C.J. Strouds on the board. I think they oh. need to put together some type of package. And we'll get to this later. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you really need to throw Brown and Burns in there, you might want to. Yeah. Uh, what did you just say? Maybe trade Brian Burns or Derek Brown? Is that what you said? Okay. If the, if they. <laughs> just saying, you, if that's what it's gonna take, right. you might. All right. Let, let's let's talk about that in just a moment. We'll continue to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Did Steve Wilkes cost himself the full time job with that loss yesterday? That's coming up on Wes and Walker Sports Radio ninety two seven FM. Did Steve Wilkes cost himself the full-time job with that loss yesterday? It's been a question we've been talking about for quite some time, whether Steve Wilkes and the Carolina Panthers needed to find themselves in the postseason in order to replace the interim tag with a permanent tag. You can text us 704-570-9610. That's the Garage Door Guru text line again, 704 704- 570-9610. Here's Steve Wilkes, the head coach, talking about what his message was to the team after that loss. The message to the team afterwards were, we didn't do what we wanted to do. They made more plays than what we did today. So we got to give those guys all the credit. We didn't play according to our DNA, which is physical and effort, which I thought for the most part you saw, you saw that. Uh, we didn't play smart, not at all. But the one thing I stated to those guys, the last element, that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to finish. That's what men do. That's what good football teams do, regardless of the uh, record, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, We're going to come in tomorrow, put this game to bed, and have a great week of practice uh, with that leading to game day execution. We're going to finish next week, and, and that's our mindset. First things first, Steve Wilkes with that type of message, extremely respectable, especially coming off of the heels of a guy that was not accountable or did not hold his team accountable in Matt Rule. Because Matt Rule probably would have given us some kind of stat, a couple of excuses. Hey, maybe he's the one saying if J.C. Horn is playing in this game, then we would have won. Which, the messenger matters a lot when we talk about the message. If Matt Rule went up there and said, hey, if J.C. Horn plays, then we would have won this game. I wonder just how palatable that would have been for Carolina Panthers fans. Even the same one saying it, right? Because I can understand why you might say it. But if Matt Rule said, hey, if J.C. Horn's playing in this game, then we might win. I think immediately that gets thrown into the trash. But no excuses from Steve Wilkes. Says, hey, they made more plays. We weren't physical. We did not live up to our identity, our DNA. And sure enough, Tampa Bay was able to win. Wes, I don't think this loss means that Steve Wilkes doesn't have a shot to get this head coaching job. I don't think this loss means that he still shouldn't get this job, right? I mean, I, I've i always believed, you know, after a 500 start for him, that Wilkes should be heavily considered, and I'm ready to roll with it. Like, I, I'm good. I've always liked the idea of going after an offensive mind, but the way Steve Wilkes has this team prepared week in and week out, to me, I thought he's – I still think that he's done an excellent job and that he deserves the permanent head coaching job for this Carolina Panthers team. What say you on whether he cost himself a spot with this team going forward, especially with the HC tag? <sighs> well, <laughs> Panther fans, I hate to uh, – Go ahead, set the stage, like Wes. To see you. 
And I hate to say this, really, man, because I feel like he got a raw deal in Arizona. But at this point, after what happened yesterday, I just I don't think they're going to move forward with him. Uh, we had the discussion about interim coaches. There have been two over the last 10 years that have had a 500 record or better. Uh, he's 5-5 five and five as the head coach. I think this spot yesterday was going to give him a nice feather in his cap. I don't know if yesterday would have put him over the top either, but the report comes out before the game that the Panthers plan to have a long, extensive uh, search for a head coach. I don't think you put that type of report out if you intend for Steve Wilkes to be the guy. Um, I think a 5-5 five and five record, if they lose next week, 5-6, and six, I mean, sure, they played better. Sure, there were times when they played more spirited, but a lot of teams kind of do that once the head coach is gone. Uh, I like his demeanor. I like what he brings to the table as far as just the no-nonsense about him. I feel like there's been times that he's tried to be able to offensively you know, show some wrinkles and show that this is not just going to be ground and pound, but at his core, uh, we know that's what he is. But unfortunately, I think after yesterday and not, you know, me wishing for it to happen, but I just think after yesterday, I, I don't see it happening. I think some of the coaching decisions were questionable at the end. And it was a weird, it was a weird style of managing, right? Because they decided to kick the field goal. What was it? Second down, they kicked the field goal and it was basically with a minute left. So seemed, okay, as soon as we get to a minute, if this is where we are in the field, we have to score right then and there to give ourselves a chance. Some people questioning that. I actually liked that decision in hindsight. Remember, he missed the first one. Before yeah, he they did. Hit. And then there was a delay of game penalty that <laughs> saved them. It was not a timeout. It was a delay of game penalty that saved that yeah. missed field goal. Eventually, Pinheiro barely, but he got it in there as, uh, after he tried the second time. I just didn't like the onside kick afterwards because you had three timeouts. So if you are going to play the two possession game, which is clearly what you were doing when you were setting up for a field goal with a minute left on second down, rather than going for the touchdown first and you needed a touchdown. So you're playing for two possessions. I didn't like going for it on sides because if you had three timeouts left, you planned on getting the ball back. You're allowing Tampa to punt it. If they don't get a first down and pin you deep, at least kicking it into the end zone where you're set up on the 25, where if you kick it deep, then you're going to set yourself up for better field position if you stop Tampa, which if they get a first down, whether they're this point in the field or this point in the field, doesn't matter. If they get a first down, then the game's over. You don't have any more timeouts left because you just used them all. I think for me, that was my biggest problem. I, I don't love close to Tampa territory punting it on two fourth and ones. I Both of those times, I, I know it's a little dicey, but even still, I'd rather go for it on those fourth and one conversion attempts because there is at the Carolina 41 and it was at the Carolina 42 that they decided to punt the ball on fourth and one opportunities. What did you make of some of those game uh, management decisions? I think with coaching, I do make judgment on on some decisions to where I'm like, oh, this was a good call, bad call. But I think coaching it's so hard, man. And I look at it like if I was in these situations, I'm not going to always make the right decision. There are going to be people that are going to question what I could do. So sometimes I feel like it's a it's a bit of semantics there. I like to look at the whole picture when you're talking about a coach. What does he bring to the team from a leadership perspective? What's his style? What's his philosophy? Because nobody's perfect. We know that. So there are going to be questionable decisions made in pretty much every game uh, you know, that you coach as a, as a football coach. So, yeah, some of the things you may not agree with, Mm -hmm. But I just like to look at the totality of what a 
a potential head coach is going to bring to a team or what a head coach brings to a team. Now, when you want to talk about situational stuff like this, it's how often does it happen? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. So do you feel like that you've seen some of the decisions you didn't like yesterday often? No, I actually don't. No, I, I yeah. think this was this was a game you had to have, and this was a different type of situation, and you decided to go about it the way you did, kicking the field goal with a minute left, not doing it on a fourth down conversion instead of trying to go for that touchdown. You know, that's fine, and even some people still criticize that move. Yeah. I, I'm cool with that. I had more of a problem with the onside. I have a little bit more of a problem with punting it on a couple of fourth and one scenarios, and there was one other one. Yeah, I, I think for me, I. Josh Norman, I look, he probably still gets cooked. I'm not about to say if Josh Norman <laughs> plays Mike Evans that they're going to get destroyed, yeah. okay, right, that they're going to win the football game. I'm sorry. Josh Norman, man, they sign him because they knew that they had a depleted secondary, and he only plays 10 snaps, 13% of the snaps, and a lot of that was kind of when the game was already decided. He did have not even a pass breakup, but he covered, I forget the receiver on the outside that he was covering. It might have been Mike Evans and did it and well. He was acting like he was an <laughs> all-pro again. Hey, man, that's all right. Let the old man have his day. You know, it's his first <laughs> It's his first big play coming back into the NFL after being a barista, which the broadcast crew you reminded us a million times. And I'm glad you said that. Real quick, I had an issue with him saying that. And I love Kevin Burkhardt. He's one of my favorites. He actually tweeted back at me or retweeted something I said to him one time about how much I like him as a broadcaster. <laughs> but don't just say the man is a barista. Like he's working at Starbucks and talk his, about his luck. Void of Can contest. you at least say that the man owned the doggone place that he was a barista at? Like I, I didn't like that because that made yeah. it sound like that he was down on his luck. We know the story mm -hmm. about pro athletes going broke when they're done. So that made it sound like that he was working at Starbucks or something because he was down on his luck. At <laughs> yeah. least say the man owned the, the, the coffee shop. Um, let's go to a couple of texts talking about Steve Wilk. 704-570-9610. number wrote in that he thinks Steve Wilkes will lose this job. Blindside Chris wrote in, just because he keeps taking ownership does not mean that he is the right head coach. He seems to be a very high character person, but he's not consistently moving the needle. Um, 980 number wrote in, I was all about Steve Wilkes until the Steelers and the Buccaneers game. And then Brian wrote in, I think Fitterer should be the one who chooses the next head coach and he does not trust David Tepper to sign off on the hiring. So having a couple of those conversations and comments come in, look, man, for me, Steve Wilkes is doing this in a way that the team wasn't built based off of his ideology. This is Matt Rule's team. This is not Steve Wilkes talking with Scott Fitterer at the beginning of the season to discuss, hey, how can I help you? If Scott Fitterer is, is talking to Steve Wilkes, which of these players do you like? I'm going to go ahead and get this guy, but give me your input. Then you know, Steve Wilkes is going to go coach with some of his decisions at the forefront. You know, this was Matt Rule deciding to put together the team the way that he did. And you're already seeing a little bit of a difference in defensive philosophy, right? You're blitzing a lot more. It's different from what Phil Snow was doing. I think you're seeing the better players actually get out on the field. So I think you're seeing um, uh, more snaps um, for some of the guys that should have been getting a lot more playing time anyway. At the end of the day, this is a Tampa team that, you actually were playing meaningful football against when everybody had the Buccaneers winning the division anyway. And you were very close to winning this football game, even against Pittsburgh, where you lose, you're not getting destroyed by anybody outside of Cincinnati. So for me, I, I still like Steve Wilkes going at it. 
I would like to see an offensive coordinator that you bring in different from Ben McAdoo, even though I haven't had that big of a problem with McAdoo here recently. Fiddy, I know you were wanting to get in on a little bit of this conversation with Steve Wilkes. What say you on whether he costs himself the permanent job? Yeah, no, I, I, I think the only way that happens if they go out next week and now a meaningless game and they get to, you know, their doors blown off like 38 to seven or anything like that. He's done what we, what we wanted what we wanted Matt Rule to do with this team for two and a half years, he done it in two months. Mm-hmm. And he, he took a team that was one and four and had them playing meaningful football in December for the first time since 2017. And I really thought his game strategy, when it was his first unfolding yesterday, I didn't quite get what he was doing. And I thought he was showing a classic example of mismanaging the time and clock and all that. And then it, it worked out in, in a lot of their favorite where they scored. I'm with you with maybe the onside. Maybe you just go ahead and kick it deep from a, from a field position standpoint. But he managed that situation better than Matt Rule ever did. And so my, like I entered this season thinking Scott Fitterer gave Matt Rule a roster and said, if you're an NFL coach, you can win with this. I have the same trust and faith that if you make Steve Wilkes the permanent head coach, Fitterer is going to give him a roster that he says yeah. that, that you can win with. And so that's where I'm at to where – I mean, I think if Wilkes would have been the head coach from training camp on, this team wins the division. I truly believe that because not moving the needle enough for you, these players respect them. They, they they play hard for them. They didn't do that for Matt. And for a Panther fan base, he gets you better than just about any other coach in the history of the franchise. So if I'm a fan, he, he knows who we are. We know he does what we're about. He's my head coach. For me, he's. I want him still to be the head coach because you gave Carolina meaningful football. You got to think about how dramatic this turnaround was. And absolutely, this kind of turnaround does not happen without an awful NFC South. No doubt about it. If you're playing in a better division, then you're not playing meaningful football as late into the season as you did. But we were talking about how this team should probably tank. We were discussing how maybe they should just lose all of these games to get a higher draft pick and possibly select a quarterback. And whether you think that's the route they should have taken, nobody expected them to be playing for a playoff spot in week 17. That's pretty crazy. I I did not expect that at all. And yet here they go 500 with a team that gave up on its head coach that traded its best offensive player away. And the offensive line has held up for whatever quarterback you give Steve Wilkes. You know, PJ Walker had an amazing game against Tampa a good second half against Atlanta. That was about all you got from PJ. Sam, for the most part, has played pretty well. And to me, Wes, this has been what you've voiced as your biggest concern over Steve Wilkes. It's the ability to open up the offensive game plan, not being so conservative. Mm-hmm. Well, you you didn't really have a choice yesterday because the running game wasn't working. And I know a lot of people are mad because they wish Deontay Foreman would have got more than 13 carries. Okay, they certainly did not run the football as much as they had leading up, but Wes, they weren't successful. So what did they do? They had to lean on Sam Darnold a little bit more. Sam Darnold had three turnovers. The interception was particularly poor because that one absolutely is on Sam. But also, I mean, Wes, it was working for a little bit. It was. I mean, the touchdown passes were great. The throw up to Richie in the middle where he was wide open, but man, put it right on the money, hit Richie in in stride, which is not something that Baker Mayfield was doing. Like I walked away feeling Sam Darnold can absolutely play in this league. I still want to get a franchise QB, but Steve Wilkes had this team playing well with Sam Darnold having to throw the football more than usual. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it just didn't work out because he did turn it over. 
even still, I, I don't think that there was enough to say, okay, he's way too conservative. I can't have him anymore. You were having some success in the first three quarters, and at the end of the day, Tom Brady ended up being the greatest quarterback of all time in the fourth quarter. Yeah, well, I think that, like Fiddy said, if they go in and lose to New Orleans, and that puts you at five and six, and it's like, okay, when I look at the overall picture of what was done here in his tenure, okay, you beat up. You beat Tampa the first game, 21-3, albeit Tampa Bay was playing horrible football, very beat up, very injured, because if we want to make excuses for the Panthers and say they lost a game because this guy was out or that guy was out, then we, we can afford the other team when they had major players out as well. Okay, you beat a bad Atlanta team. You beat a bad Denver team. You beat a Seattle team that was playing good football, but we saw down the stretch that they faltered as well. They, they fell off of the wagon as well. They're coming back, though. I, they, they, yeah, they've had the last two yeah. good weeks, if I'm not okay. mistaken. You caught Detroit. That's probably your best win because you beat a hot team coming in, albeit I thought the performance was a little bit out of well, the order. Well, they destroyed Detroit. Then. They did. They did. But but that performance, I chalked it up as it was just, I mean, it was something that, you know, it's hard <laughs> to explain how crazy that game was as far as how they ran the ball and how well they played offensively because this is not a good offense. So it's like then when you got put in the biggest spot, you did lose the game. No matter how it happened, you lost the game. So I think if you look at the total picture of things, there were a lot of circumstances that allowed the season to go down the way it did, mainly just this division. Do we feel like that, you know, the Fitties point, if he's the coach at the beginning of the season, well, there's a lot of teams that could kind of go back and say, well, if this would have been that and that would have been that because if Tampa Bay had been healthy all season, I don't think anything the Panthers did would have mattered because I think Tampa wins 11, 12 games if healthy. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I like a lot of intangibles that he brings in the hometown story. It's, it's a very nice story. But I think at the end of the day, him losing a game that big and not being able to get him to the playoffs, I think is ultimately going to cost. Him. So last thing before we can move on, and we'll, we'll talk plenty about this. We still have half the show left. Blindside Chris wrote in less than 500 football is definitely a turnaround from 200 football, but it's still less than <laughs> mediocre. OK, the, the problem. What are your realistic expectations with this roster, with an average coach, even just an average coach? What are they doing with this roster built right now? I think that there are some foundational pieces that you can go forward with. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Sam Darnold is your best quarterback on this roster. And that's not a recipe for any type of offensive success that we've seen in Sam Darnold's career. That's your best QB. DJ Moore is by far your best receiver. I had high hopes for Terrace Marshall cooled off the last couple of games. Doesn't mean to give up on him, but right now he's not a consistent wide receiver. Number two, we've talked about the tight end problems for like five years or ever since Greg Olson left tons of problems there. We can't get any kind of consistent production. And then defensively, they dropped the ball yesterday without your top two corners. They get destroyed. Even if JC Horn was back, Tom Brady might adjust. They had no pass rush. Okay, defensive line wasn't playing all that well. They played well against the run, but Tom Brady had time to throw. So with all of that being said, I think that Steve Wilkes has done a good enough job to be the permanent guy. The, I, I am not, I'm, I'm fine researching all of the candidates. Uh, that's what they should do. They should absolutely go and explore to see all of their options. But I feel very good about where Steve Wilkes can take this team if he's anything like he was the last 10 games of the season, yes, as Blindside Chris puts it, 
less than 500 football, but man, th- this staff, the turnaround compared to what it was at the beginning, it's been impressive. So I'd like to see what he can do when his identity is more around this team at the beginning of the season, in the off season, and uh, you can absolutely call it his team throughout the year rather than the last two thirds. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Fitty Flash coming up, the second one of the day. What you got, Fitty? Well, former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera may very soon be former Commanders head coach. Uh, the Redskins or the Commanders got eliminated <laughs> from playoff contention yesterday, which Ron Rivera wasn't aware of in his post-game uh, media availability. Clarify, you said you would talk about quarterback next week. If you guys are eliminated today by what happens at four o'clock, is Sam Howell in consideration? We can be eliminated. Yeah, if the Packers <laughs> beat the Vikings, then you guys are eliminated. Um, definitely not a good look for Riverboat Ron. You know, he's got nine losing seasons and 12 years as an NFL head coach. As much as we love and respect the guy, do you think his time in Washington is coming to an end, which also may be to the benefit of his coaching career anyway? Well, so I saw some clarification, and I absolutely buy the clarification that he knew they had a chance of being eliminated, and and he was being cheeky and was mad at the question. That's more the problem, right? Really? Because you've sat in pressers with Ron. Is he... Oh, yeah. He'll get spicy. I mean... Oh, yeah. Is that what you're asking? Like, whether he'll get cheeky like that with reporters? I don't know, because if you watch the video, his facial expression, he looks taken aback by them possibly being eliminated. If, if you if you listen to that audio, though, you can see, oh, okay. Yeah, like, it seems really sarcastic. That's and how it, it sounded yeah, to me. It did, it did to me, too. And there was clarification, I believe, and I think the Washington Commanders beat reporter for ESPN clarified that as well. Regardless, whether you – if you didn't know, that's really bad. You know, I don't – I don't understand how you wouldn't know. I do think he did, and I think he was being sarcastic and a jerk, honestly, to the question. And so, for that, it still is like, okay, man, it's a, it's a decent enough question. It's not bad. Like, I don't know why you have to do that if you're Ron Rivera. I know you're frustrated, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that that's a bad question to make fun of. No, not at all. And so, like you said, uh, but I do think that when I read the vitriol from the fans about him starting Carson Wentz, with, I didn't understand that either. I thought he should have stuck with Heineke. Um, you know, especially off of Carson Wentz playing good in garbage time as my Niners mm-hmm. took him to the woodshed. Uh, I didn't think that was smart by him, and I think it is time for him to go. Washington needs new leadership and a new direction. All right, we haven't talked about the Hornets uh, quite yet. We'll do that in the next segment after they lost to the Brooklyn Nets over the weekend. They do have a Lakers game tonight at the Spectrum Center, so that's still to come on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Speaking to media as we speak here on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, says the sole focus is on winning this weekend despite being eliminated from playoff contention. He does say that Sam Darnold is going to start against the Saints, just in case there was any question about whether he would suit up despite them being eliminated from playoff contention. And he also I know, had, bro. He also had this to say about Josh Norman. Steve Wilkes felt Norman simply wasn't ready to play more than he did versus Tampa Bay after such a long layoff. That's another one that, I mean, that one's tough. Fiddy, were you mad about Josh Norman not getting more time on Mike Evans? I, I feel like they should have done something, right? Like, it, and I understand it's kind of just to throw everything 
but the kitchen sink that you can. I mean, but I, I, it's not like I'm going to sit here and say Mike Evans would have been held in check by aging Josh Norman in this game. I guess my biggest issue was nine of the ten snaps he played came after yeah. Tampa Bay had come back and you know reestablished control of the game. I mean, like I'd have thrown him out there just to talk trash and see if he could. I mean, say what you want, like it matters. Like how much did Chris Collinsworth talk about that last night in the in the Steelers Ravens game? Uh, Jair Alexander really got in Justin Jefferson's head yesterday as the as the Packers were out in Minnesota. I'd have put him out there just to see if he could get inside Mike Evans' head. Wait, Wes, was that a shutdown performance from Jair Alexander? <laughs> I know he's not a shutdown corner because there's no such thing. But was that a shutdown performance on Justin Jefferson? He did allow, I don't even think he allowed the one catch. I think it was in zone, if I'm not mistaken, from what I remember from that one. Yeah, I mean, it was an impressive performance but by Jair. And he's a very, you know, pretty cocky uh cornerback very good at man coverage but it's like if he can call justin jefferson's performance in week one against them a fluke then we can call the okay performance he had a little bit of a fluke i want the shutdown rules because somehow during the break <laughs> Wes was able to get one of these quotes up on the board so now we have four quotes up there one from the legend jerry v another one from ashley strohline which has stayed up here my whole time coming in twitter fingers will get you that's coming in from stroh Colin has one. Every season is a journey. And Wes Bryant has a quote up here. We all have jobs to do. <laughs> How did Wes Bryant, Stroh, and Colin all get those quotes up there on the board? I imagine you had something to do with it, Fitty. Well, we can all figure out who put Stroh's quote on the board. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. and, and then when it came to Wes and Collins, yes, I put those up there. Wes's is an all-timer because that really evolved – from him giving the nighttime janitor the business mm. at a company meeting. <laughs> and I knew it when we walked in for the nightly meeting that this guy was getting it. And Wes just came up and was like, we all got jobs to do. And then Collins, I put it up as more as a reminder to me that every season, uh, particularly for UNC basketball, is a journey. My headphones took a journey last Friday when Leaky Black got called for a charge and I threw them into the wall. And you just were unaffected by this? Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't see you throw your headphones against the wall. I saw a whole bunch of expressions that you shared in that yeah. game. No doubt about it. I could clearly see you were angry. I did not see you throw your headphones. Were they still attached? Mm -hmm. They Goodness gracious, I didn't see that at all. Um, But, you know, you got to do a lot of things to get on the board for you, Walker. For First off, you got to have a good take or a good opinion. Right. So that's it's been a long time. So as soon as that happens, I'll get my quote up there. What's another thing? And then you got to waddle on social media for the people. Can I waddle while giving a good take? That's something we need That'd to do. That'd be dope. Yeah. So I'll waddle and then give a good take. And at that point, maybe we put a picture of me up there as well. Picture and a quote. Of me dancing and stealing the Jalen Waddle dance. Speaking of pictures, uh oh, I did some digging on the Locked On Hornets podcast feed over the weekend. Oh, dude, there's and I've plenty. got some gems of you. There's plenty. Is it the one with the bee costume? Yes, <laughs> the bee costume. So here's what's crazy about that: Doug Branson has zero shame. Okay, my man Doug, theater major, just is with it. Just you cannot catch him with any shame. So he's all about the B costume. He said that he would wear a grandmama outfit if we reach a certain number of subscribers or a certain number of followers. And so he embraces it. And I'm not even kidding. The guy looks good. How do you look good in a B costume? Clearly, I don't. 
I'm not pulling it off. I don't have enough panache to say, hey, look at me. This thing is working. No, I mean, Doug does, though. And so that's why I look ridiculous and why Fiddy can do some homework and have embarrassing pictures of me. It's not like nobody's seen it, though. I mean, it was broadcast over the Internet, so I know it's out there. Then what about Fiddy just going and looking for... He's a weirdo like that. No, that that's not overlooked. Fiddy but just this is, working behind the scenes. He embraces how you know that, you too. made it at WFNC. If I have photos you have of creepy you, photos? Oh, the, the catalog of Willie P photos I have on my phone, there's like 35 or 40. Did you get more <laughs> of me outside of the B costume? Oh, yeah. I got one of you the other day. I'll actually send it to you right now because this is actually what you look like. Oh, is I it think. on Twitter? Was it the thumbnail yeah, that was on like, Twitter? Yeah. Where that's I just, how you look all the time when you're talking. It's like it pains you to talk. I look, I look painful when I'm there. talking? Yeah. How does that? How how do I look like I'm in pain? I don't know. Like you just look either you're in pain or confused or both. Pain, painfully confused. Well, one of the things that happens when you're doing video is there are a lot of times people can just press pause on anything and make anybody look ridiculous. The thumbnail that showed the picture that shows for the YouTube video, that's what happened there. And so now, of course, Fiddy is going to get it on his phone. So speaking of locked on Hornets. We had a preview of tonight's game against the Lakers on our Twitter handle, Lockdown Hornets, which you can find anywhere you get your socials, by the way. But they also played the Brooklyn Nets this weekend. They lost. Wes, the shooting has been a big problem. Just one uh, quick point before we move on um, and talk a little bit more Panthers in the last hour, or maybe a little bit more college football. Terry Rozier, whew, after that big contract, continues to struggle mightily. Mark Williams, still a bright spot, even though he didn't have quite the game he did against OKC. What are some of the observations you had in their most recent game against Brooklyn, and what do you expect from them tonight against L.A.? Well, the Hornets are just a bad shooting basketball team. They've had stretches where they've looked like they can get it together when you know offensively what this team, you know, has been in the past, especially last year when they were one of the league leaders in all the categories that you want, pace, shooting, Mm -hmm. true shooting percentage, and all of those things, but that has just seemed to have gone down the drain. Uh, You know, and the Hornets are still up there as one of the top teams in the league as far as points in the paint. But just shooting the basketball, it just has not happened uh, for them last night. I mean, they shoot 39 percent from the field and 27 percent from the field against a Brooklyn Nets team that shot 60 percent from the field overall. (laughs) And the Nets have 58 points in the paint, 85 percent shooting. They converted 76 percent of their two point attempts. So. When you're not hitting shots and you're playing against a team that's blistering hot, it's just not going to turn out well for you, man. But as far as just what they can do to remedy that, man, it's just hard to tell at this point what this team needs because if you can't shoot and you can't play defense, you just don't have a chance in hell, and that's why their record is what it is. There were a couple of ways that you could feasibly see that problem fix itself. It was guys playing out of position. It was P.J. Washington handling the basketball way too much, and it's fine to experiment with that at the beginning of the season, especially because he didn't have any choice. No LaMelo, no Gordon for a certain amount of time. So, all right, P.J., you're kind of the next man up. We need you. And he showed up against Golden State. We've seen him step up, but we can't rely on that type of production. PJ has started to play better again now that he's asked to do what he should be going forward in his NBA career. But Terry Rozier, we gave him the excuse of playing point guard. We gave him the excuse of not being able to be set up by LaMelo Ball or Gordon Hayward, two of the better passers. And the shot still just hasn't fallen for him. Last thing, if you look at the Hornets all season long, What's weird about this team, if you look at some of the advanced stats per cleaning the glass and even NBA.com, some of the traditional marks that you'll see, the Hornets are actually taking 
open shots. That's a problem. If you're looking at them being in the top 10 for attempting open shots, certainly from three-point land, I think they ranked eighth for a while at the beginning of the season. But West, they're towards the bottom of the league hitting those open shots. So it's not like they need to do something schematically that's different. They're taking the right field goal attempts. They're just not hitting. So if you have the right shots, guys are playing the role they should be as guys return from injury, then it's really just confidence-based and they're just not hitting. That, that's the best thing I got for you. I don't know how they can remedy it because schematically it's kind of working and at this point the players just aren't hitting. So hopefully that can fix yeah. itself and tonight it, against the Lakers and beyond. Yeah, and it's still LaMelo just still figuring out how to control the game. The last five games he's taken 57 threes. It's just too many. And it seems like a lot of the shots that he takes from three that he's just – settling for three points. Some of them shot. are bad shots. Like, yeah, he's yeah. had two games where he shot. He shot 40% against Portland, 50% against OKC. But other than that, with 35% against Brooklyn, 18, which is, that's respectable. But 18% against Golden State, 33% against the Lakers, 30% against uh, the Clippers, man. And it's just to the point that how many shots do you need to take before you figure it's not being efficient enough for you and you need to just find a more efficient brand of basketball to play, I mean, 14 threes out of your 19 field goal attempts the other night, man. That's that's just not going to cut. Yeah, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more for what's on tap because they do play the Lakers tonight at 7 p.m. I do want to bring it back to the Carolina Panther conversation. What's next for Sam Darnold after this loss to Tampa? We'll see how he performs against New Orleans in the next game they'll play. It's all up to come on Weston Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.